Hey, it's your old pal Slim, and this is 70 Millimeter, finally a podcast about movies. Each week, I'm joined by famous artist Danny Haas. What became of your lamb, Clarice? And writer, poet, Protolexis. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. As we discuss a recently watched movie. This week, it's Jonathan Demme's Silence of the Lambs. Enjoy! Portrait of a Proto on Fire. <laughs> I'm not sure if people were staying Tian to our Twitter account, but Proto Lexus and I, we had a little boys' night out tonight. We went to uh, Philadelphia, Landmark Ritz, and we took in a showing Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Unreal. The scene at the Landmark was electric, <laughs> it was mobbed. People were clawing to get into this 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 uh, viewing because there was only one showing. People wanted to get in there and see it. We had tickets. There was only one showing, I think, ever, maybe, so far, until it gets a wide release. Like, there was only one 705 showing tonight, the night we record Thursday. And that place was packed. It was a madhouse getting in that theater. Parasite, I think, was also playing, though, at the same time. What kind of theater is this? Is this a chain theater? Art house? Um... I would say art house for mm. sure. We actually, well, I met up with uh, Proto at a local spot, Glory, for all our Philly boys out there. Um, Proto was having a nice old conversation with a gal at the bar. I thought hey, Proto is with a coworker having a pint, <laughs> and he just came upon this gal, didn't know her ahead of time. Yeah, it was serendipitous. I'm just there. I'm trying to get some something in my belly. A nice uh, crispy chicken Sammy. Had a, you know, had a beer or two. And um, this last um, Susie, Susie, if if you if you hear this at some point in the future, uh, it was a pleasure talking with you. She was yeah. actually a film buff. She goes to the Toronto Film Festival every year. She was pretty much pitching us to go. She mm -hmm. was like, "You and your friends, you got to get out there." Uh, we were talking all kinds of movies. Her best picture of the year, Jojo Rabbit. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. Also, get this, Danny. Uh, Slim asked her about a particular movie. Uh, oh, you may have heard of it. Joker. Oh, <laughs> she loved it. I like Susie. Yeah. Was at that point I knew we had to leave the bar <laughs> immediately. <laughs> Slim pulled out his phone. He's like, all right, it's, it's, it's time, time to get it's out It's time to here. roll. Let's move on. She was quite upset that uh, there was a movie on the screen uh, playing. I saw <laughs> Sylvester Stallone wearing thick black sunglasses and a you know black shirt. I was like, whoa, is this Cobra? And she turned to me as if I had just insulted her entire lineage. Oh She's my. like, this is Rocky <laughs> Four. Do you guys even watch movies? <laughs> yeah. I think she called us frauds three times. As we were leaving, she yelled yelled at us, frauds. She, 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 had a, she has a letterbox account. She refused to give it to us. She didn't want anything really to, to do with our fraudulent movie views. And that's fine. You know, people have different yeah. different vibes on movies, different ways I mean, to love them. I mean, it's kind of true. We are kind of frauds. You oh, know, that's, yeah. Some people just don't realize that we, we're filling a void in podcasting. There's never been a movie podcast out there. I don't even know if there's actually even podcasts out there that are just all white men. Mm -hmm. I, I haven't researched that, but yeah. there's definitely not been two of the three hosts that have gone to see Lady Portrait of a Lady on Fire. That's a fact. Maybe I, maybe we should say something about this movie. I will say, um, I I definitely enjoyed it. It's it's very different. Mm -hmm. uh, it kind of it left I left not knowing entirely how to feel or how I was feeling uh, as I left. And this isn't a spoiler, but you know, it markets itself as a love story, but it's, it's kind of like a, I would say a, an unconventional love story uh, in just the way that it's told. And um, I, th I, I don't know if like the average average viewer would be like, want to put this on and would enjoy it. But if you're looking for something different, I think um, 
it's definitely worth checking out. We should say, um, so we saw it tonight. I think, Danny, you're seeing it tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, yeah. Tentatively, Portrait of a Lady on Fire is going to be our, you know, roundtable movie discussion in two weeks. So I think next week uh, we're going to do Rogue One, Star Wars, a Star Wars Rogue One story, whatever (laughs) title it is. (laughs) And then the week after that, we're doing Total 180. French subtitled film of uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I'm pretty excited. Yeah, I actually really like the vibe of that theater. I was telling Proto, I think I've seen, I've taken James to see Shin Godzilla there. Mm. Um, and the one thing I'll say about the experience was after the movie ended, you know, I'm just used to people like clapping at the end of a movie, whether it's actually like a really good movie or just a goofy movie. People just clap in theaters that I go to, like mainstream theaters. It was just like, <laughs> like an odd silence. People just like got up, <laughs> just walked out of the theater. <laughs> it was like the end of mass. People just like slowly per- processed out and then t- talked outside of the theater. I kind of, I kind of dug it. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm excited. Main topic this week is Silence of the Lambs. We're going to get into that in just just a little bit. There's a few things I wanted to cover before we get into that. One of which, you know, we've, we're dear friends with the Letterboxd folks. They've been very kind and gracious to us. Um, we use Letterboxd all the time to log our movie viewing, and you should too. You should, we should be friends on there. It's our favorite social media site. If you share our show on social media, you retweet us, you fave it, you spread the word about the show and tag us, you're entered into... Uh, Get a chance to win a year of Letterbox Pro. No third-party ads in that account. Letterbox is free in general, but if you want extra features, extra kind of filters on your profile, extra profile features, um, you can get a pro account or even a patron account. So this week's winner, Adam Sandler's son on Twitter. I need to get your your Letterbox. I'll probably DM you before the show airs. I'll have your Letterbox username. So thank you for sharing the show. Um, if you want to be entered into uh, for the chance to get a Letterbox Pro account, share the show. We appreciate it. Congrats, Sandman Junior. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> there, is, there is another uh, news item that I feel like we have to cover. This broke le- this week. Horse Girl alleged Whoa. to have ripped off an indie film called The God Inside My Ear. There was a big Reddit thread about it and a YouTube video comparing the shots of the movies put together by the indie movies editor. And um, suffice it to say that Reddit thread has been deleted from slash movies. Wow. Danny, what were your thoughts when you watched that video? I didn't watch it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for your honesty. Just to be serious. I I didn't, I didn't care. I'm going to be honest. I don't know what to say. I mean, there's things that, yeah, it seems similar, but I don't know. I mean, we a bunch of us were talking about it and some were arguing that you could do that with a lot of different movies. And I think there is some truth to that. I think there are some pretty strong similarities, but I'm by no means the person to say if they did or not. Wow. A lot of Alison Brie um, conspiracy theorists got to go buck wild on this segment. Mm. You know, they're just paid under the table by Alison with well. <laughs> Uh, when I first watched the video, I thought it was actually very similar, and um, I've tried to like uh, not tra- trick myself, but like train myself not to be so knee jerky in a lot of things. I feel like I've gotten scammed on Twitter over the last like two years into getting irate about something, and then out of context, it it does make someone irate. But then you like dig deeper; it's actually not that big of a deal. So I I watched the video. And then I kind of dug into the comments and people were saying how the, the comparison video was kind of edited. The scenes were, sh- they, they showed the scenes side by side to make it, you know, obvious that like, this is very similar, but the original indie movie, some people were saying comments like, that's actually not how the movie kind of takes place. All those scenes are very out of order compared to how it is in Horse Girl. There was a lot of scenes of just like her in front of a mirror, people lying in bed or doing random things that you can kind of pick out of a lot of indie movies. Like it's not really rare of a of a woman brushing her teeth in front of a mirror, et cetera, et cetera. It did seem like there were some plot similarities, but I don't know. I wanted to watch the indie movie. I think it's on Vimeo for free, maybe online to kind of get a better idea, but I haven't yet. So I don't know. 
but it, it was popping up on Reddit a lot. I had like 13,000 upvotes and then it got deleted. So who knows? Mm. Judge for yourself. Go watch uh, The God Inside My Ear on Vimeo. Or not and just watch Horse Girl. <laughs> <laughs> or don't engage at all like Danny and stay quiet in our Slack <laughs> until we record. Just a reminder, I think our movie set list for the year, not for the year, but for foreseeable future, we have a letterbox list that kind of shows you what we're going to be watching for the next few episodes. So find a link for that in the show notes. Jonathan Demi. Mm. Silence of the Lambs is our main topic. What's this movie about? The Silence of the Lambs is the trauma that we all carry. A serial killer known as Buffalo Bill has claimed his sixth victim. FBI agent Jack Crawford is on the case and recruits FBI trainee Clarice Starling to his efforts. Starling is tasked with speaking to the imprisoned and enigmatic Hannibal Lecter, whose intellect is matched by his monstrous appetite for human flesh. The hope is that Lecter, a brilliant psychiatrist in his own right, will help the FBI profile Buffalo Bill and end his reign of terror. However, Lecter has his own plans and requires something from Clarice in return for his help. As Clarice builds a profile that will lead her to Buffalo Bill, Lecter, in turn, deconstructs the psyche of Clarice. It's a race to stop the killer in time and finally get away from what she has been trying to escape her whole life. Thank you. I just want to loop, but I just want to like cut out um, Proto saying flesh. <laughs> so at the end of this run of shows, we'll have some kind of proto generator that we can form together <laughs> yeah. something magical. <laughs> I think we can do that. Danny, this was the first time you'd ever seen this movie, right? Yeah. First viewing. Um, I, I knew a lot about it going into it. It's a classic. Um, I absolutely love this movie. I There were some scenes that were dated, I think, especially when it comes to the cop drama and the SWAT team and how cheesy that stuff was. But the scenes with um, Anthony Hopkins and Jodie Foster are unreal. I mean, they're riveting. The The two of them going back and forth, interrogating each other and it's it's some of the best uh, scenes I've seen in a long time. And uh, I love this movie. I thought it was fantastic. I was going to say, this is the first time I've seen this movie in many years. It, and I, it's funny how like I felt the same way about certain things being dated. But overall, still amazing. Yeah. You know, like Jody and Anthony Hopkins just playing with each other. Not like playing, but I mean, they're having like just a, a clinic acting scenes together, you know, and just the, any scene with them is just totally dynamite. And, and not only that, but like the slow zoom ins on their characters and so many of those scenes. I mean, a lot of this movie is just them talking to each other. Yeah. And without such skilled actors, like those movies, those scenes are just going to flop. Like, can you imagine them casting almost anyone else in these scenes? I feel like it just would have been trash. So speaking of uh, casting... Both Anthony and Jody were second choice for these movies. Oh. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer was the first pick oh. for Clarice. And the first pick for Hannibal was Sean Connery. Ugh. How terrible mm. would this movie have been? <laughs> with Connery that. talking yeah. about fava beans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like the whole role of, of Hannibal Lecter only works because of the way that Anthony Hopkins speaks, the, 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 the tone and the accent that he has in his voice. Otherwise, like this is just, he, he's not like a scary dude. Cause Anthony Hopkins, I mean, he has like a, he, he has like a, a strong look, like his eyes and like what they mm -hmm. do with his hair. But if he didn't have that voice, I don't think this character would carry like the creepiness and like, uh, almost like what's like, he almost has like a, like a, like a, a regalness to him or like, mm -hmm. um, yeah, just something like that. He carries like a formality that the, the voice just adds to it where if he didn't nail that, 
I don't think this movie would have had as much of an impact or that character wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he kind of has like a theater presence where mm-hmm. he can command an entire stage and that comes across in his role. I would love to see like test footage of uh, Sean Connery reading lines for this movie <laughs> just to see what he was going to do with the character. I don't character. think it got that far. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, so a lot of the stuff I had totally forgotten when I watched it, um, the movie starts out with Jodie Foster kind of running this training course, almost like a Spartan course. She's wearing these like baggy sweatpant outfit. And then some guy like finds her on the course and says that she has like a phone call. And I was just like, did that, I, I was almost like stunned by that scene, but I was just thinking about like, did that guy just run the entire course to get to Jodie Foster? He's got to be exhausted. Yeah. What are the chances? Have, like, <laughs> yeah, no. like that couldn't have waited. Like I would have told Crawford, like, just, just wait until she's done the course and not running three miles to go catch Jodie Foster for this stupid task. But man, that's that the Crawford character was interesting. Dr. Chilton was one of the grossest characters that I can recall in a movie. I mean, his, his hair was beautiful, but he's just a gross human being. He has this weird chin action happening. Oh my God. God, I was drawn to it. I couldn't stop looking at him. The first shots of him, the camera is so close to his face. You can count his, his, uh, his pores. It was disgusting. (laughs) Like the, um, he had like, he had like chins on chins. The amount of creases in his this man's chins was unreal. I could, yeah, I had to like almost pause it just to like <laughs> stare at his face for a little longer. Oh, he's a monster, pure psychopath. So rare to capture one alive. From a research point of view, Lecter is our most prized asset. You know, we get a lot of detectives here, but I must say I can't ever remember one as attractive. Will you be in Baltimore overnight? Because this can be quite a fun town if you have the right guide. I'm sure this is a great town, Dr. Chilton, but um, my instructions are to talk to Dr. Lecter and report back this afternoon. I see. Let's make this quick then. We've tried to study him, of course, but he's much too. That might be my new like Slack avatar. That close up of Dr. Chilton. (laughs) Can you Photoshop me onto Chilton? That's the art I should have done. (laughs) His hair, but that guy. That's another thing. That zoomed in shot. There's so many of those kind of. um, I don't know what they call those close up shots. Just close up shots where it's just their face in the frame. And that's how you're experiencing that character. And man, Chilton, he should have been, if he wasn't nominated for Best Supporting Actor, he should have been and he should have freaking mm-hmm. won because that guy was so good in this movie. I wanted to slap him around all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Such a creep. Uh, I haven't seen this movie in a long time, probably since I probably saw it when I was a teen. Um, yeah, and I was, so I wasn't sure what I was getting into. And when the opening credits started, I was like, oh, this doesn't look good. <laughs> you notice how like the credits, like they like flashed on the screen and then like flashed away. It was like some intern did like the 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 openings uh you know credits for everything. And then like the weird font, it was just like mm-hmm. black with like just white lines around it. It just looked oh, really look right. strange. I loved it so much. God, <laughs> that's amazing. Such an afterthought it felt like. But then once it got going, um uh yeah, I really enjoyed it too. And I I, I yeah, there's there's so many different elements to this movie of where it's just, there's just like some serious, you know, just like horrible, you know, stuff going on with serial killers doing kind of like the creepiest, darkest thing you could think of. Um, but then you have like this amazing character of Hannibal Lecter, who is also terrible and terrifying, um, but really interesting at the same time. And the thing that totally either I don't remember it at all or just went way over my head the first time I saw it was how in every single scene with Jodie Foster, the scene starts with some guy checking her out Mm. and looking at her as an object. 
of just mm-hmm. like somebody hitting on her. There's like scenes where there's a scene where she's just in the airport and a guy just cuts in front of her and just like devours her with his eyes. Yeah. And that happens in every scene, like every scene, something like that's going on. Like she's constantly surrounded by other men who are just looking up and down at her. And like the, I didn't remember that at all. Or it just may, maybe just like, I didn't even notice the first time I was watching but this time I just, I, I just thought like, wow, like that was like so intentional. Um, and it, it fits the story so well. Like it's such a, like a, a well-crafted story in terms of like what the serial killer is doing and, uh, what Jody is dealing with as a person. Uh, and just turn of like what it says about like the relationship between men and women. I was just like really impressed. Um, because this movie, you could just think of like, oh, this is like a horror action movie. It's fun, you know, thriller, you know, you'll be grossed out and also like be thrilled at the same time. But it also has like a lot to say, um, I think in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they did it, they did it subtly too. So like the scenes where like she's going to look up now and is like very, uh, apparent. But then there's like shots of her stepping into the elevator with all the men, FBI guys. And she's just this tiny figure, um, in the midst of, all these massive men. I thought that was a fascinating shot too. But yeah, mm-hmm. you're 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 spot on when it comes to that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's very noticeable. You could definitely hold um, Jodie Foster's character up with like a Ripley in Alien. You know, mm-hmm. as like the kind of mm-hmm. like really just very um, powerful female starring roles, and especially the character itself herself. Um, but yeah, it was. I mean, even the scene where she walks into where they're going to examine that body and there's like 30 local cops in there (laughs) and they all look at her, but then even Crawford kind of almost like dresses her down and they, he calls the the chief into this room to talk privately because they're going to talk about the body and they let, they leave her out there and she's kind of left to just stand there with those cops. um, Just them ogling her, just like wondering why she's there because she's a woman. And it kind of brings back to the, the reason Crawford chose her. Uh, I think they talk about it later in the movie, but I honestly can't remember where she asks, like, why did you choose me? Was it just because she was kind of like a rookie woman in the FBI? And and he, they kind of, and Crawford maybe knew that that would tickle Lecter enough to the point where he would engage in that kind of help. Yeah, they kind of dropped that. He says, like, Lecter hasn't seen a woman in years. So I think using her as a woman was a main, a big part of that, yeah, interrogation. Yeah, I thought that scene was even compelling where she goes to talk to him for the first time. And, like, she's going to interview him. And he's behind this glass kind of as, like, you know, almost, you know, like a a monster in a cage to be observed but I just love that that shot of like going down the hallway and there's the chair sitting in front of him. And it's like in the same way of like every other scene, like Jody is almost being presented as like the object to be mm-hmm. observed. But then what's so great is like their relationship. Lecter, he's this serial killer, but he's the only one who actually really respects talks. Her. Yeah, respects her and asks her about herself and wants to understand like why she is the way she is, or it seems like he's helping her to unveil it to him. Yeah. Yeah. How about that scene where I think it's towards the end when he starts digging into her past and he's getting her to like unveil, like talking about why she uh, was running from some stuff. And he's like, Oh, agent Starling, you think you can dissect me with this blunt little tool? No, I, I thought that your knowledge... You're so ambitious, aren't you? Do you know what you look like to me with your good bag and your cheap shoes? You look like a rube. A well-scrubbed, hustling rube with a little taste. Good nutrition's giving you some length of bone, but you're not more than one generation from poor wire trash, are you, Agent Starling? And that accent you've tried so desperately to shed, pure West Virginia... What is your father to you? Is he a coal miner? Does he stink of the land? You know, how quickly the boys found you. All those tedious, sticky fumblings in the backseats of cars while you could only dream of getting out, getting anywhere, getting all the way to the end. 
I, you know what you look like to me with your good bag and cheap shoes, you know, that, that line. Mm, oh, yeah. it's so good. And he just starts ripping her apart and it's just tearing her down. And it's such a good scene. It's phenomenal. Another great close-up shot too of her as she's telling that story. Like the, uh, what became of your lamb, Clarice? Oh, <laughs> so good. There's so many good lines in this. Yeah. Oh, Dr. Dr. Lecter. Dr. Lecter. <laughs> I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. <laughs> and then he's like, love your suit. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, what he does, the, the West Virginia accent too, back at yeah. her. Oh, man. My God, he's so good in this movie. This the one part where we mentioned the cops, um, like ogling her in that big room, and then she ends up sending everyone out, and they're about to exhume—not exhume, but like open the bag to that dead body. Mm. But when that scene where they're putting this stuff under their yeah, nose, what was that? I've never seen that before in like a, ever in a morgue scene in a movie or anything. They put stuff under their nose to kind of block out the dead body smell. I was like, whoa, what is this? Yeah, I thought it was like some sort of like lotion smelling salts or something it was wild mm-hmm. i had never yeah. seen that in a movie it puts the lotion under its <laughs> nose <laughs> uh, the one part so like i actually full disclosure i think i fell asleep for like two minutes oh during the God. scene <laughs> i was in i was on the comfy couch in the house with amanda i love that spot where she does like the fake deal that actually right. like wasn't you know that they 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 bluffed him but eventually so she gets uh, Chilton kind of flipped things around. God, Chilton, I just want to slap him around in his face. <laughs> slap that chin off of him. Um, <laughs> the, he eventually kind of weasels in and tries to work a deal for himself. God, he's so good in this movie. Um, but eventually Lecter busts out and he kills those cops in that cage. Oh. Like the shot of him beating on that cop, it was almost like purposefully like artistically done like his motions swinging that baton don't even look like they could hurt a human being but it just worked so well like the blood splattering up at his face Mm -hmm. god it was gorgeous that stark white shirt and then when he turns and like leans back and looks up with the blood the red blood on his mouth and that shot is so good yeah 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 well even when you see him uh uh click the the um the cufflinks to the bar and you're just oh. like oh man they're they're in for it and there then he's done and then after he he finishes that with that i can't remember the line but he says to the other guy it's like uh i'm ready now or, or i'm ready now art sergeant whatever I, I, that was that was such a great line creepy yeah he's like i'm ready for you now <laughs> <laughs> which i guess is like him almost being like the doctor again and like seeing his patients was he taking a dump behind that screen <laughs> that's what i was thinking too. <laughs> right i think so <laughs> the part with the baton it almost like because i think there was like some orchestral music like flaring up during that scene so i wonder if that was almost like a maestro-esque yeah. shot oh, as well yeah. during that music the the one thing i actually had to kind of like rewind and re-listen to is when jody worked backwards to figure out how to get to the kind of dressmaker's house you know, they eventually find Buff. They're they're on the hunt for Buffalo Bill, and Lecter allegedly knew him, but he gives them a fake name that Jody is smart enough to figure out that he's just effing with people. So they're they're on the hunt for someone that they're not going to find, but she's aware of that. And eventually, he kind of puts his own thoughts in her notes. Like he takes the case file and is writing in things for her to to find. And at the same time, while she's kind of going on the first victim's house to kind of ask some questions because of Lecter's notes. Crawford also finds some tips, I guess, from the case file. So they think they found this guy's original house, Buffalo Bill. And at the same time, Jody is questioning the family of the first victim. She thinks that Buffalo Bill maybe lived nearby because of some of the notes. And she thinks that Buffalo Bill could see her from a window. Um, I actually just was kind of confused during a lot of that. I just felt like it was happening so fast. Like the way that they, they, the way they piece things together, the way Jody did really. Yeah. I feel like that, um, there's probably so much more in the book that explains all of this, but they like took the, the super condensed version of like, all right, we need to like connect, you know, this, this, and this, but we only have, you know, uh, two minutes to do it all. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. that kind of comes out. Uh, and it, yeah, it does happen so fast that if you miss even, 
like a bit of it, it you'll just be like, whoa, you know, how, how do we even get here? I think um, there was uh, our producer, Dale, he wrote mm-hmm. a great uh, review on Letterboxd. Um, and he kind of had like some similar like questions about the plot. And there is like some, some stuff. I guess I, the thing that I thought was happening was that the first, uh, the first victim, right? The, so the first victim, she would get the, the tailor would like make alterations to her clothes. And then Buffalo Bill, I guess, I don't know, was he the tailor or like, did he live there or know her or, or yeah, I guess that's the part that I'm not really sure is like, how did he end up in that house? Um, the, the only thing I could figure out was he ended up killing the woman that owned the house. Maybe he was, maybe he worked in the basement potentially as like a helper tailor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he eventually killed the woman that owned the house and that's who was in the bathtub kind of degrading. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's, you know, I think you could, I think that's why she went to that house in particular as well, mm-hmm. because I think you can see it from that girl's window. Oh, yeah. And that kind of alludes to one of Lecter's lines was, um, I think, covet or something. So I th- mm, the yeah. theory was like him telling her like, well, he can see her from her window and she likes to get naked in front of that window. So there was like a, a piece of voyeurism happening that enticed Buffalo Bill. Oh, and there was those photos that she found as yeah, well. Exactly, yeah. So mm-hmm. she, I think in that scene, she's starting to piece things together. Like, oh, she'd like to do this. I wonder if she does it in front of this window. Could Bill see her from the window? And then she went to that house. Can we talk about that basement? Is that the biggest basement in the United that. States? <laughs> what like kind a, of property does this woman have? It's unbelievable. It was like a 900-square-foot house with a 40,000-square-foot basement. <laughs> <laughs> there was like 100 rooms down there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Amazing. And a well. That well. <laughs> I forgot. Yeah, the well. What kind of house is that? Like, that should be yeah. everyone, whoever was involved in building that house, should be in prison right now, <laughs> off the books. I thought it was kind of um, goofy as, like, when she finally shoots him and then, like, the window busts open um, and then, like, the light comes in and she can see. I was like, wait, so he has this whole setup and there's just, like, Oh, oh, like I thought it would be further underground. Yeah. You know, he's playing like Same. this loud music. You have this woman who's screaming and you have multiple women who are probably like screaming in the, this basement. It just seemed like, huh, that's not like really the, like the most secure. If you're a serial no. killer trying not to get yeah. caught. <laughs> it seemed like there was multiple levels to the basement. Like there was an underground mm. level under the first floor and then another basement. It was very strange, but Dale's Dale was, um, I just pulled up Dale's review. Um, one plot line I could never make sense of even during the movie is the Hannibal Bill connection. Hannibal had a patient that took on a lover and that lover was Buffalo Bill and Bill killed this patient lover and Hannibal had nothing to do with it, but kept Bill's little secret by hiding the body in his rental space. Also his rental space, Hannibal's rental space also was massive. How much was that being paid for? (laughs) Like he had almost three houses worth of antiques in this rental space. Yeah. That whole car. Like Jody can't open the door, but somehow Lecter got like this giant car antique vehicle in there. <laughs> yeah, it looked like the scene at the end of Indiana Jones where they're like putting the car, the the wooden crate away. It was like top men are in charge of this building. But I also was like starting to get kind of pissed at Jody at the end where like she knocks on the door, Buffalo Bill answers, and he's already really squirrely. He tells her that like he owns the house now whoever you're looking for isn't here she died or whatever she sold it to me so then she sees like the dressmaker props she sees the moth or whatever bug that was so she's starting to piece together and then buffalo bill asks her about one of the victims like oh wasn't she some fat girl and then so that like keys (laughs) off like oh yeah this is the guy but man how does jody not just like shoot the f out of this guy immediately i know you're a rookie (laughs) cop and stuff but from the moment where he slips past her in one of like the lamest moves ever, it's like five minutes from that point where she's like mm-hmm. slowly creeping. Like he could have just ran out the back of the house. If he just went out the back door, she would have been creeping around for no reason for like five to 10 minutes. I don't understand why that was seen. There's no so way slow. she could have found her way back out of that museum. That Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Wait, I thought she, she hears the door close and she knows like he went down in the basement. I thought yeah, that maybe. Happened. Maybe I, one yeah. thing about this, like my first thought is like, Jody, why don't you like call somebody? And it's like, Oh wait, 
there's no cell phones. <laughs> no cell phones. <laughs> and like, it totally makes sense because she, you know, she, she doesn't know if the, um, the, the Senator's daughter is still alive or not. So she can't really like run and get mm. help. So she has to do what she has to do is like, go down and find it. And Danny, what was like your feeling watching that scene? Cause that is such an intense scene. I feel like that, you know, the whole the, basement and the light going out. The basement scene was nuts, but to take a step back real quick, how about the perfect cut between them breaking into the wrong place but her opening oh. the door to that house. I know, you know, it's coming. That's the thing, but it's so jarring because it happens so fast when that door opens and you see Clarice's face and you're like, oh shit, like this yeah. is about to go down. And that whole underground basement scene when the light goes out and he puts on the night vision is genius. I loved that so much. Like I was, I was like pins and needles waiting. I, she's going to win. Like I, I knew that was going to happen, but it was ridiculous that he was sitting down there with those goggles on it, and there's a little mistake too when he pulls the gun up and you see the shadow of the gun on her back it's like well it's night vision there should be no shadow of a gun on her back but uh i really love that scene because it's it feels it still felt like it's a 30 year old movie and i haven't seen that done again like it's it feels like such a sweet a sweet little tidbit in that story i really love that and it was cheesy i mean it was cheesy but it was great yeah. What was he doing when he was like just watching? He's just ogling her. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> he's just like, Ugh, I'm just, just going to watch yeah, you, you for the rest of the day. Let me take five minutes and let you was walk that a, Was that a skin suit on that mannequin oh, in the beginning yeah. of that scene, yeah. you think? Oh, gross. Yeah. gross. Ugh. Well, also, why doesn't he just like kick her and then cock the gun? Like <laughs> She can't see anything. Why do you have to like pull the trigger back and then shoot her? But uh, he was we all know Buffalo. Yeah, Bill wasn't he wasn't thinking he wasn't all was, the way there. He was trying yeah. to walk around with it tucked in. So I didn't realize that this won all the Academy Awards. Essentially, best picture, best director, best actor, best actress, mm-hmm. the best big five. adapted screenplay. Yeah. What? Yeah. Wow, that's insane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you? Uh, so I went back and looked. So the big five is a thing. And uh, do you know how many times how many movies have won the big five? I do because I'm looking at it right now, you but I won't say. Uh, I'll guess. Um, <laughs> five. Three, including Silence of the Lamp. I was basically right. <laughs> the first one was, it happened one night in 1934, and then one flew over the cuckoo's nest in 1965, as it, ha- as it hasn't happened again in 30 years. Hmm. Wow. That's wild to me. The movies we've had in 30 years and not one has won the big five. Ever heard of the Green Book? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. How is the grossest scene, though, in Sansa Lamb is when she gets slapped in the face with the male excrement walking out. Oh, God. How is that the grossest like that, scene in this movie? Uh, I feel like that could have made this movie X-rated. Like, that is so over the top and gross that it was just ridiculous. It was disgusting. Hanging off of her hair. <laughs> Slapped her uh, in the God. eye socket. <laughs> And then, like, the next scene, she's, like, outside, and all I could think about was, like, God, I hope she, like, went in the bathroom and cleaned that <laughs> off. Like, are we going to see it? Like, guess it's so revolting. Well, how about the lector, like, somehow convinces that guy to commit suicide? Like, he drives yeah. him mad by Swallow just talking to him. Yeah. Love you, suit. <laughs> I, I, I have to, I, how do you swallow your tongue? It's uh, also the wiki also says it's also the first and so far only best picture winner widely to be considered a horror film mm. and one of only six such films to be nominated along with Exorcist, Jaws, Sixth Sense, Black Swan, mm. and Get Out. Is Black Swan horror? I was horrified. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen it. Uh, something else I, I really enjoyed about this movie was just how, you know, you're you're seeing the like the profile being built of Buffalo Bill, but you're also seeing the profile of Jody's character of Clarice and how, you know, uh, just the the title of the movie, The Silence of the Lambs and how Clarice has that whole she gives that history of that story of like you know, we learn why it's, it's titled that. And like that scene when she was a kid of like uh, encountering these crying lambs and how she tries to rescue one. And then, you know, talks about uh, Lecter says, well, like, you know, that's what you're doing here, right? You're trying to 
like stop the screaming from going on. And we find out that Buffalo Bill kind of has like a similar thing where he had some severe um, uh, trauma as a child. Uh, but I just thought it, it's it's really interesting when you see that for both of them, but like how they go down completely different paths. You know, one is becomes dark and twisted and like the the worst kind of person in our society, whereas Jody um, takes that trauma and is trying to like help people. Like she mm. wants to save um, these girls uh, as almost like a way to overcome the trauma that she experienced. And I couldn't help but think that, you know, there's like a, some, you know, we all experience, we, we all go through childhood and we, we experience certain things that shape us as to who we are. Not all of us have these crazy dramatic experiences, but we probably experience some level of trauma that stays with us and, you know, affects us for the rest of our lives in ways that, we might not really be aware of it might be much more subtle than that but there's probably something um that we could all speak to like if we had enough therapy to mm. you know determine like why either we love what we love or why we're afraid of uh you know what what our fears are um so i thought like that message of the movie was is is pretty compelling and uh, i really enjoyed that this movie premiered in february and still won those awards. Ooh. Uh, according wow. to Aaron Michael on Letterboxd, a movie so good it premiered in February and won those awards. Valentine's Day. That could be that could be something <laughs> like uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire winning. Oh. Ooh. All five. Even though there's no male actor that would uh, be nominated <laughs> in that film. Spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> The, um, let's see, the one thing I, my last note that I read about the movie was that, that odd zoom in on the handshake between Crawford and Jody. I was almost like, what is going on with that handshake? And I guess it was just essentially that he respected her or a man respected, a non-psychopathic man respected Jodie Foster in the movie. <laughs> is that everyone else's interpretation of it? Cause it was a, it was like a close up zoom slow shot of the handshake at the end. Yeah. Yeah, my take was like there's probably more to their relationship in the book. Uh like I could see that there might have like maybe he was like hitting on her or you know mm -hmm. trying to spark something romantically and maybe this was their Demi's nod to you know that aspect of the story by just mm -hmm. like giving this little bit, but I don't know. I kind of felt like he saw her as an equal maybe. Yeah. At the end. Yeah, overall, I, I really enjoyed it. I actually, after the movie, as the movie was ending, when Lecter, you know, kind of lost in all this, Lecter's on the run. And I, they're like, so they have, during that scene where they're celebrating catching Buffalo Bill, I was like freaking out at the TV. I was like, hello, Hannibal Lecter is on the loose. Like, mm. he got away, and you guys are just not even caring. Like he's eating a human being right now. <laughs> where where is the rush and urgency God. to get Hannibal? When he cuts that face off and wears it to get out. Oh my God! How <laughs> how a genius is that? The body uh, laying on top of the elevator. God. Oh yeah, it's so genius. And even then, the so blood good. coming down the elevator. How oh. like that doesn't even matter because he's he's out at that point. Yeah, at and that you point, think about he's it, long gone. That's the that's like really the only way for him to get out of that building is that he had to think outside the box of like I need these cops to escort me out of here. How yeah. do I do that? <laughs> also, I mean that whole scene is played as if like it's played so well. Oh, like yeah. it, you you if you're not having seen this movie like I guess like Danny like you would believe that that's Hannibal up there because the way those cops are like you know SWAT moves like they see the blood so they're like cheesy. motioning like we got to get back in here that <laughs> Hannibal's up there it like plays so real too yeah how about that one cop who's like tasked with going on the step ladder and opening it I'd just be like man <laughs> why, like why they had a step ladder ready <laughs> I found like those two cops that are just like chilling up there with like his gun where he like angled, he's got, I'm going to shoot him in the leg. And he like weasels at his gun, like over the ledge and just shoots him. And nothing happens. I thought that was such an he odd shot angle. the leg body in the leg. I forgot about that. <laughs> just like seeing that guy shoot in that position is cracking me up. Oh man.
One of the, I had to look, uh, one of the cops that runs in to pull out, or when Jody runs back to get the, the case file, <laughs> it's a quick cameo of uh, George Romero. He's one of the FBI cops mm. that Ryan Grunz comes back and grabs her. I'd probably give this um, four stars. Yeah. I think I'm a four star feeling. on this one. Yeah. Yeah. I'd give it four stars too, because it is, it is really good. This isn't my kind of movie. I don't think I would ever we choose know. to like put this on. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't really enjoy these kind of stories that have like, just like creepy killers and like, I'm not really into horror movies as much. So, um, it's not my kind of movie, but with that being said, I think it is, it's still a four star movie. It's so good. I'll read, um, some of the reviews from letterbox. Um, friend of the show, Dirk feel good. It's his last sign is what are the chances your parents call you Hannibal and you grow up to be a cannibal <laughs> unheard of. <laughs> um, Dale, I think we read we already read some of Dale's. Jonathan Demi brought suspense, thrills, fun, and intrigue, which makes for one of the most interesting filmographies out there. Comes from uh, Brendan Michaels. <laughs> recent reviews. I don't know how I get served up these funny ones. Uh, recent reviews from Mrs. Winchester. I'd let Hannibal Lecter cannibalize me. <laughs> <laughs> what was that review that I was dying at last week? I gotta find that one. <laughs> We were laughing. We found one review. We were all cracking up for like five straight minutes. <laughs> I'm just thinking about it now. Uh, Silence of the Lambs. Let's see. The average rating on Letterboxd is 4.3. Just about everyone I know has rated this four stars or higher. Yeah, I'm going to be a four star for sure. All right. Next movie. Before we get into our voice, unless you have uh, closing thoughts on Silence. My only thought, um, how about that Danny Art for this? Oh my god. We didn't even talk about that Are you scene. Kidding me. Just flexing on us with the mm. art for these episodes, Danny. Mm. Sorry. What what inspired you? I mean, I guess you had to go with that, right? That look. That it's mask. Look. Because Iconic. there's so much about um Anthony Hopkins' performances in this movie that deals with his eyes and that mask like accentuated his performance with his eyes. Because he was strapped, face covered. I mean, that when he's yelling at that junior senator or whatever she was, uh, talking about her nipples and what's going to oh, tingle. Man, scene, yeah. I mean, God, that scene was terrifying. So good. But yeah, that, that scene was, uh, yeah, that's why I chose that scene for that art. Do you ever have like um, B ideas, B and C ideas that didn't make the cut? Like, yes. Did you have like a B one for this one? Yeah, I actually had two. I was going to do the scene where she's talking to the glass and you can see Hannibal's reflection talking back to her. I loved that shot so much. And then there's a, a quick shot in the beginning where he calls her back uh, after, I think it's after uh, she gets the uh, stuff on her face. Stuff. Yeah. And they're both up against the glass and he's telling her real quick something to go look for. I, I love that shot of them two together. It's already intense anyway, and you're like, man, she's she's too close. Like, step back, please. Uh, yeah, there's, there, I mean, there's some amazing shots in this, especially of Hannibal. I mean, uh, when he's leaning against that wall, and there's that shadow cast on his face, and he's just, it, it, he's perfect in this movie. Anthony's perfect in this movie. Mm, remember Anthony Hopkins in Transformers Seven? <laughs> <laughs> How far we've come. Uh, all right, let's get into the voicemails. You can uh, leave us a voicemail at 267-409-6983, or you can um, do like a voice memos file and email us at 70mmpod at gmail.com. I think next, for next show, we were talking about um, asking folks what are their most anticipated movies of the year. Yes. Let us know what you're looking forward to for the rest of 2020. Um, off the top of my head, I can't think of anything. I just like to be surprised, you know? Well, I mean, I would like to say the Bond movie I'm really looking forward to. Mm. I mean, once you finish Majesty's Secret Service, maybe you can start <laughs> Day 77 finish. of watching that movie. <laughs> it makes you wonder well, what's going to come out because this time last year, like, I don't know how many of the best picture movies that I had even seen a trailer for at this point. Yeah, they mm. felt like they're all fall releases. Yeah. Who knows what lies can. ahead? So let us know for next week's show. Let's hit the voicemail. 
What's up, 70 millimeter? Caleb calling. First, I want to say I'm thankful and honored to have won the uh, the Letterbox Pro account for the year. Really cool of you guys. Really cool of Letterbox to help you guys out with that. Um, and my question is, how do you? How did you come up with the, with your list of movies? Really different list, and I'm guessing that's by design. But were they all movies that maybe one of you hadn't seen, or just movies you guys wanted to wanted to see and talk about, or and Moving forward, how are you going to add movies to your list after these 12 or 13? Love you guys. Love the show. Talk to you soon. Thanks for the call, Caleb. Perto, how do we put this list together? <laughs> um, I think, I don't, I almost don't even remember. I know we have like a, a special list that's locked in a safe. Um, <laughs> we each have a, a copy and we update um, whenever we make changes. So it's all written down. Uh, and then I know uh, we each picked three that we really wanted to do. Um, some of those overlapped. Uh, we all wanted to do good time. I think that was the one um, um, unified vote. And then the other ones kind of just, I don't know. It was just kind of like interesting movies that we thought would be compelling. I know this one, like Danny hadn't seen, and this is such like a, such a big movie. Um it, it won the big five. So, you know, it's worth yeah. watching. Um, yeah, I guess we kind of just feel it out and what seems right and what, what we want to all want to watch, I guess. We're like a blind man in orgy. We have to feel our way out. Yes. <laughs> to quote the naked gun. Maybe we should add naked gun, <laughs> naked gun to the list. Uh, I don't, yeah. A couple of people I talked to that aren't in our Slack were like really curious about the list. Like it's a, you know, when you look at our letterbox list of movies we're going to do, it's like, eyebrow raising some of the picks but i i enjoy that like we don't want to just do all mainstream movies we don't want to just do new movies we want to do movies that we ha somehow we haven't seen or would be excited to watch so that's probably the genesis of them yeah and being being the first film podcast there's no blueprint for yeah, this there's no no one's done this before right yeah. we're setting the stage yeah i everyone should know at this point that i'm a huge fan of under the skin mm. um and that's by Jonathan Glazer. So he has three pretty mainstream movies that people have probably heard of. Um, so one of his other ones is Birth. So that's why it's on the list because I was um, amazed at Under the Skin. So I was like, I got to see more Jonathan Glazer. So that's one reason um, that's on the list. Is Dune on our official like work in progress list, or is it off? The it list? really is. Wait, is it on there? Okay, I couldn't remember because yeah. I know we have like a in our safe. We got file. a while till Dune. We, okay, in our safe copies, we have like a list of you know fifty movies that we're we've just been brainstorming on. So that that list isn't permanent. We, we've been making changes obviously over the past couple of weeks. So stay tuned to the episode for official next movies. Next voicemail. How's it going? Uh, so you guys this week are talking about Silence of the Lambs. Uh, that movie is awesome. So a little story about that. I saw that movie when I was 10. <laughs> so I'm the youngest of four kids. And the brothers and sisters would have to babysit me. And we did that at a dollar theater near my house. So Silence of the Lambs was there. I would always get dragged to movies. The ticket counter really person really didn't check ID. They were just letting children into R-rated movies, so I guess <laughs> that was cool. So I saw that movie and everything in it, you know, Buffalo Bill, you know, skin suits, all that. And it, you know, as a 10-year-old, was rough. And it kind of haunted me. So as we left that movie, and spoilers for the movie, uh, you know, kind of Walter gets away. He calls on a phone, pay phone. So... My uh, sister bugged me and said, hey, you know he's still out there, right? You know this is all true. Oh, Don't pick geez. up the phone because it could be him. Oh, so for about God. six months, I was terrified <laughs> every time the phone rang. I thought it was him. I thought he was going to eat my face. <laughs> and that's how I lived about six months of my life. Because my family are a bunch of a-holes. So... Think about that for a minute and about how my childhood was completely ruined. But love the movie. Even now, it's great. Love the show, boys. Have a good one. 
Has the phone stopped ringing, fam? <laughs> <laughs> Love the suit, fam. <laughs> I just imagine like a young 10-year-old like boy, but with like fam's adult head on the body. That's, that's like what I imagine. <laughs> like I'm thinking of flashback of fam as a kid. Oh, oh my. All right. Let's see here. Let's get our next voicemail cooking here. Hey up lads, this is Dirk, Dirk Feelgood calling in. Uh, congratulations on the meteoric success of this podcast. Just just the other day I was looking on the internet and there was an article on there about movies. So everybody's copying you now. So keep going, <laughs> keep at it. Soon maybe there'll be TV shows about movies and you'll have started it all. Um, I'm phoning in because of the film this week is Silence of the Lambs. But before we get to that, I thought I'd share a lightning round review with you, which is a review of a movie in two sentences or less. This was a film picked by my daughter, five-year-old daughter, for our weekly family movie night, which happens on a Saturday night. This film, a little bit of foreshadowing here, when I looked on Letterboxd afterwards, had um, no reviews and no ratings. The film is called Enchantimals Finding Home. Okay, so here is the review. <laughs> nothing happens, comma. Literally nothing, semicolon. One time something almost happened, but then it didn't. Full stop. <laughs> I fell asleep watching this. Full stop. One half star uh, on letterbox. <laughs> now, Silence of the Lambs. Uh, well, what a great film Silence of the Lambs is. Even though it's 30 years old, it still still holds up today. And I wanted to talk in particular about probably the most pivotal scene in the entire film. Just after Clarice and Hannibal have met for the first time and they, Cl Clarice was doing quite well, but then she awkwardly kind of shuffled in that questionnaire into Hannibal's slippy slidey box in his cell and Hannibal was a bit... Oh, I don't like that. Go away with you. So Clarice was walking away, a bit dejected. But then Hannibal, he had a change of mind, didn't he? And he decided that he would give her a little bit of information. All because Miggs, in the cell next to him, well, he wanked off and it hit Jodie Foster in the face. The whole movie changed because of um, somebody unleashing their sexual load <laughs> and it got me thinking i've not really seen that in any other film i mean like apart from american pie maybe but how could films be different if that was a plot device that was more regularly employed what if we were watching the last jedi hey guys it's dale underscore a producer of the 70 millimeter pod now we at 70 millimeter are all about freedom of speech and expressing your opinions on movies and and anything like that we tend to encourage that but in terms of good taste and uh you know loose connections with the show there are certain times when we feel like we might have to just uh overstep our bounds here uh especially when it comes to you know somebody bringing up you know the granddaddy of all movie studios you know in galaxies far far away and comparing certain characters to those of the uh, Baltimore uh, State Forensic Hospital as featured in uh, Signs of the Lambs and some of the inmates more willing to uh, share their bodily functions and fluids now as producer I am aware that you know part of my job is to do the stuff that nobody really else wants to do the dirty laundry so I just want to let you know that um, yes this uh, voicemail was heavily edited but it was for the best and moving forward we're still going to take your letters we're still going to take your voicemails and we're probably going to read them all raw dog until uh, said times where you know, children's figures and characters are, are compared to some of the uh, worst um, figures in public history and the things they do to their bodies and in return share that do-gooding with people uh, that are walking down the hall across in front of their cell. Anyway, uh, it, otherwise, please send your voicemails, please send your uh, letters and back to the show. But great podcast, guys. Can't wait to hear for uh, about your reviews and my silence of the lamb review 
was four and a half stars. Go and check it out on Letterboxd. Don't feel good. Bye. <laughs> I'm looking at Enchantimals Finding Home right now, and he truly is the single review on Letterboxd for that. That's amazing. Uh, Dirk Feelgood, uh, <clears throat> former star pro wrestler. Um, thanks for calling in. Uh, let's see. We have one more VM to get to. I'm fired up right now. Hello, 70 millimeter podcast. I, uh, this is Michael. I'm giving a little bit of feedback about horse girl and silence of the lambs. Uh, first last week with horse girl, I was a little, a little disturbed by the European contingents views on horse girl, both, uh, Andrew and Neil basically pulled out their tallywhackers and tinkled all over Alison Bree's epic journey in Horse Girl. I love the film. Uh, that was British slang, by the way, in case you didn't get that. It's, uh, you can go to Google Translate. Anyway, I loved Horse Girl. I gave it four stars. I thought that the DNA story did play out um, by... When they went to the cemetery, that was kind of the ending of that story. That's where that DNA journey led. It wasn't about her finding answers about her actual ancestry. It was just something else that led her into this uh, journey of breaking down and losing herself and everything. So, uh, Horse Girl, amazing for me. Now, I had a story about tucking for Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> Oh my god. Thank you for the voicemail. Uh that voicemail is titled Horse and Silence, according to that email. <laughs> Run Mike D, I think might have been the only one in our group that enjoyed that movie. Uh, I yeah. mean lo- let me let me rephrase. Loved Maybe it. the only one that loved that movie. You might Horse be right. Girl. Yeah. I wonder if I wonder if he's watched the um indie movie that allegedly Horse Girl uh blatantly ripped off. This podcast can't be bothered to to dig into it. Nah, it's not worth it. We don't have time for that. We don't have time. I barely have time to talk about seeing 1994 Little Women. Oh my god! Oh that's my right. god! We gotta yeah. Before we wrap up, you have oh. to give us uh, your emotional state after watching that VHS. Proto, I don't want to fight with you. Okay, <laughs> let me just preface. It's a good movie, and I liked it. But it's it pales in comparison to Greta's, and I know it's because of your past that you love this movie. And I'm sorry. Yeah, Don't he just took come his back. headset off. Proto, he just come took back. His headset off. Come back. He's walking away. He's come back. He's, he just He's, left. The room. No, come back. Uh, no, Proto. Spiritual advisor has just walked off set and left his podcasting studio. He's, He's still not back. He's yet. gone. <laughs> He's coming. He back. Comes. He's coming back. Sorry, I just had to scream into a pillow. <laughs> What's your star rating for Little Women? 1994 Little Women, I'm giving three stars. Wow. It's good. Uh, I don't think, I think uh, the actors and actresses in that one aren't as great. I think they just cast Claire Danes to cry in this. But I do feel like Beth's death scene was more powerful in this than it was in uh, the current one. But there's no way Rhinona Ryder was as good as a Joe as Sersha. Yeah. Saoirse. Yeah, I was quite <laughs> I was quite bored with this movie. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, it's I'm sorry. Well, I mean, you did just watch it. If um, if I had grown up on it, I get it. Yeah. I yeah. do get that. Well, that's why I was like, I think whichever one you would see first. Well, also seeing an updated movie like right now, it. It, yeah, I know. Yeah. And I think that I think the 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 whole story altogether, I think it plays out much better. Like the mm. ending is much better in Greta's version. Here's my biggest problem. The time jump with the other girl's name. I'm sorry. Uh Amy. Amy. It is so bad. She goes <laughs> from this Anakin Padme very bad age gap to all of a sudden being the same age as him like it was so weird and so jarring she's the only one that aged in that movie you know what i mean mm. he's well, she's also the, the only one who's like a child as well yeah but yeah i just she was cast way too young 
or cast way too old. It was so yeah. weird because she's in that carriage ride with Christian Bale and she like kisses his sleeve or something as the child and he's like, I'll kiss you one day or something. And I'm like, can we, <laughs> can we not please? And then all of a sudden she's like 18 years old, but Christian Bale only grew a goatee. It was wild. Oh, yeah. How about that goatee? <laughs> so mm. rough. This is like when I asked Proto what movies you rated less than three stars, and he refused to engage. He's very <laughs> he's very guarded right now. Here's the thing: I did I didn't hate it. It's beautifully shot, and it, it, honestly, it felt like it was shot in the same location as Greta's. It felt like this weird, like same universe. Mm. There's a lot of great things about it. I just mm. I really wanted to love it. It's the power of friendship that Danny would ever yeah. consider watching 1994 Little Women to begin with. Look at us. Next week, Rogue One, a Star oh. Wars story. Oh, this is it. This is the one. This is the one. This, this is going to put us on the map. The big one. They've been yeah. waiting for this. We've been getting phone calls. We have been playing those voicemails. People just saying they can't wait for the Rogue One episode to happen. Yeah. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah the uh the way with the force is with me mm-hmm. and with you the mm-hmm. famous donnie yen quote in this movie stay tuned rogue one has never been spoken about on any podcast ever this, this is, is the first f- this is the first i'm really excited i can't wait to see the art danny's probably got like maybe 50 <laughs> files that have already completed rogue one art that he can he's already done he hasn't even thought about it yet He's finished. I might need to get some approvals for this one. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe Proto will be doing the uh, Rogue One art for this episode. (laughs) I might need to call in a guest artist for this one. Uh, All right. We'll see everybody next week. Thanks for uh, sharing the show. Thanks to you guys for being here. Goodbye. Bye. Seventy Millimeter is produced by Dale underscore A and sponsored by Half Double Design. Original artwork provided by Danny Haas. Spiritual guidance provided by Protolexis. This episode was mixed and edited by myself, Slim. Special thanks to the good people at Letterboxd for a chance to win a pro Letterbox account. Share the new episode post every Monday on Twitter or Instagram. Connect with us on social media under at 70 millimeter pod and follow along using the links in our show notes. Goodbye.